It's the Bible Idiots Podcast with Chris and Emily Danielson. I'm Emily Danielson, of course. And this week, all week long, we've been bringing you long-form teaching because, after all, it is spring break. So thanks so much for spending some time with us. Chris is going to the book of John, and his title of his message today is Searching for Truth. So here's Pastor Chris. All right. Uh, Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to go to John chapter 8, two verses today. Verses 31 and 32. And then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Heavenly Father, please let this be your words to your children. Strengthen us through this truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, today we're going to start what could possibly be a four-part series as I outlined it. It really came out to searching for truth, the truth of forgiveness, the truth of peace, the truth of humility, and the truth of freedom in Christ. And this is going to be a hard teaching. And Today, we're going to look at the truth of forgiveness, and I'm not sure we'll get to the other three. If we do, it will be after the first of the year. But as we talk about growing in vision, like we did last, the last couple weeks, as we talk about living in Christ, there's some growth messages that I want to bring. I want to talk about Jacob and Esau. I want to talk about David. You know, I want to talk about Noah's experience. You know, Moses and all the stuff that he did. Abraham, we could spend like a year with Abraham. The minor prophets, Habakkuk, you know, Micah, some of the things that they've done. Get into the New Testament, we could spend half of the next 15 years together just in Luke and John, just looking at the Gospels and what Jesus accomplished with the disciples. But then you got the Apostles Paul journey with with Silas and with Barnabas and, and all the different things. And then what about end times prophecy? We're living in that. How about we get into some of that? Revelation and Daniel, and let's mix them together. There's so many things that I want to talk with you guys about as far as growing. And so to bring a hard message like today, especially when the vice chairman of the congregation gives me a picture saying, remember, this was your church. (laughs) It's, uh, It's a thing. So I want you guys to look at it like this. Okay, when you look at being a shepherd of a church, I always think of like that movie Babe. Does anybody remember the movie Babe with the pig? And, and they went to New Zealand and they showed the shepherd. And when the shepherd, he whistles and he taps his stick on the ground and the sheep do some things. And when the sheep don't listen, they bring in a sheepdog. And the sheepdog then rounds up, rounds up the herd. And for the last 15 years, I've always looked at being a guest speaker as like a sheepdog. And that being a shepherd has to be different. And you can come and you can bring the hard truth and lay it out as a sheepdog. Because after the service, you shake everybody's hands and and you go on. And as the shepherd, it's, it's harder to do that. And as a shepherd, God gives you this desire to want to talk about some of the other growth things in the Bible. So when we want to talk about some of the higher end theology stuff, and then we want to come down to some of the basic truths of knowing Jesus as your Savior. We want to have kind of that that balance. Again, back to the pendulum again. We want to have that balance. But today, I don't know if we're going to be a 
like a whistling shepherd or a barking sheepdog or, you know, what we're going to call it. I mean, try to understand my frustration, my journey with this, searching for truth and how to present this material in a way that's appropriate. Maybe it's a whistling dog or a barking shepherd. I don't know. So I want you to look at it like a homicide detective. Let's examine the evidence together. For years, my career has been the ability to understand marketing and find a way to keep a customer happy. Find ways to create in the minds of the buying public a preference for a product. Because that's really what advertising is, is, is a preference for a product or a service. And it's what I did in whole or in part for over 25 years. In fact, my kids were raised on one line. You want to know what it is? I would look at people and I would say, if I come up with an idea that you think would work, would you buy it? Think about that now. If I came up with an idea that you think would work, would you buy it? Not, would you consider it? Not, and li listen, you cannot say no to that unless there's two things. Number one, you can't stand me and you just want me out of your office, which has happened. <laughs> or number two, you have no money or no credit. Because if you have those things and you're in business, how would you say no to that? If I have an idea that you think will work, will you buy it? And when people say yes to that, then all I've got to do is come up with an idea for them. And many times I walk into there with an idea for them. And many times they think it's going to work and they bought it. And my kids got new shoes. See, even when I was in seminary and when I was bivocational pastor, there I was uh, continuing to create my own understanding of truth in the marketplace. Truth in the marketplace and persuading people and broadcast companies and other consumers to see what I wanted them to see and to provide merchandisers a script in how to tell customers they were there to give them what they want. See, it's never about the price. It's always about the benefit. If you ever hear a jeweler on the radio or on TV saying, we got 80% off, we can get you diamonds cheaper than everything else, they are going to lose to the jeweler who says, she's really going to love you. She's really going to love you. Get the difference? That's called emotionally anchoring. If you give me a product or a service, I will give you a way to create an image, a position, a message that will emotionally anchor with the buying public and generate revenue for you. You want to make my message even more effective? Then give me one little thing that I'm going to ask for. And that is give me an upgrade. <laughs> give me an enhancement. And I mean anything that I can twist and turn and consumers will eat it up. That's all you need. And the first role in merchandising is give the customers what they want. If people want more cheese and a bigger pizza, make a bigger pizza with more cheese. It's not hard. Uh, you know, how about let's have a soda with seven different calorie options. Done. Now all we've got to do is just write the script. How about a TV with 50 channels? Make it 100. How about 200? People under 35 are like, hasn't there always been 200 channels? <laughs> no! We had our choice at one time in my life between Keith Partridge and Walter Cronkite. Think about that, kids. So you need to stay ahead of the competition. You need to continually modify your product and message if you want to build a market. Remodify, remessage, modify, rebrand yourself. Keep churning. And then 
Because of my unique position that God has allowed me to walk on this, on this earth, I get to see this consumer mindset invade Christianity and the church to a level that becomes unhealthy. And I'm not talking about tweaks or adjustments or finding ways to be culturally relevant. I'm not talking about utilizing marketing techniques to grow a church. I'm not bashing that. Some of those things are good and needed. I'm all for those things in perspective. See, what I'm talking about is when a church goes so far down a path, it starts to change its core values in a bogus attempt to be consumer-friendly. The service is too long, we'll shorten it. I know of a pastor who literally advertises his sermons will never go longer than seven minutes. Isn't that nice? Mech Church. Again, don't get me wrong. I'm into the creativity and finding great tools and great ways for us to share the message of truth, to share the love of Jesus with the community. We're all about that. But I even said in my candidating process, and I've said it before, and it's even on the website when, we, when you ask who, what we're about, is that culture will trump strategy every time. And the problem is churches are literally changing the message because the consumers have told them that it's too confrontational, too judgmental, too exclusive, too hard to understand, too anything else that makes the consumer uncomfortable, and now the church is going to change the message. Am I right? 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 right. Anybody want to match him? Right? Right. Right. <laughs> See... The church, the visible church, I call it, has gotten into this thing that we're going to make you part of a team and make you feel good about yourself. And we're going to set aside these things like accountability and authority and moral absolutes. And here's the problem with the feel-gooders. The power of positive thinking crowd is that at its core, listen to me now, at its core, at the base foundation, they're calling people to a lie. And isn't that sad? The opposite of a lie is the truth. John 14, 6. How many times have I used this? I've been here 90 days. I've used this, I've used this scripture at least a dozen times already. It, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is such a powerful verse. In our text today, in 31:32, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you continue in my word, you're really my disciples. You will know the truth... And what happens? The truth will set you free. And you know what that tells me? The first thing that jumps off the page is point number one in your notes. Knowing the truth is extremely critical. Knowing truth is extremely critical. And we live in a society where they say truth is relative. Truth can be whatever you want it to be. Your truth doesn't have to be my truth. I don't think that's real. Robbie Zacharias says, saying there is no absolute truth is in and of itself an absolute. Think on that. If you say there's no absolute truth, you, that is actually absolute truth. If what you're saying is right. John 18.38. Pilate's talking. What is truth, said Pilate. After he said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. Pilate almost sounds like the professors of our day all across this country who in effect say there is no truth, all truth is relative. I just grew up in a very straightforward blue-collar neighborhood where the truth was the truth and a lie was the lie. 
And, and it's been hard for me to get my mind around this attempts at higher thought. Almost it wrapped up in arrogance. I, I just, there's no such thing as absolute truth. So what is the truth about Jesus and what is the truth about forgiveness? Not the custom-tailored, scratch-rich, consumer-friendly Jesus, which I will call Christianity light, because that's what it is. But what's the hard truth about Jesus who can forgive my sins, my many, 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 many sins? Because that's what we're here to worship him about, isn't it? What is the truth about how a sinner like me can enter the presence of a holy God? Turn to 1 Peter 3, 18. Turning to 1 Peter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. That verse brings us to point two in your notes. The truth is that forgiveness will bring us to God. The truth is that forgiveness will bring us to God. Ephesians 2.13, we're piling on. It says, but now in Jesus Christ, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. When it's all said and done, God is the gospel. What does gospel mean? Gospel means good news. What is the ultimate good news? That all of the work of Jesus will eventually lead us to one thing, God himself. All of it leads to God, or it's not the gospel. And do you know what God is? Stay with me now. Think about this. Wrap your minds around this. John Piper wrote, Salvation is not good news if it only saves me from hell and not for God. Forgiveness is not great if it only gives relief from guilt but does not open a way to God. Justification is not good news if it only makes us legally acceptable to God but does not bring fellowship with God. And redemption is not good news if it only liberates us from bondage but doesn't bring us to God. And here it is. Adoption is not good news if it only puts us in the Father's family but does not put us in his arms. When you find God when you have sought after the whole truth, that truth that is only found in one true God, then you have found the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field. And knowing that God has you in his grip, in his arms, isn't that better than just being in God's family? See, it's growth. It's going deeper. It's going further because you know the hard truth. You don't play these games. And when you don't play these games, what happens to you? You start loving more aggressively. You don't want to, you just do. Jesus starts working stuff out in your life. Do you see it? This is the point of transition to finding truth. Any type of measurement fails when you get to that point. The scales tip over. All calculations are crushed in infamy. That's why the treasure in the field, the pearl of great price, these are just stories to try to give you an example of how great it is, how miraculous it is. Finding the true God and forgiveness of sins. Finding that truth. And right here, this is the point. We're at it. We're at the point right now that separates the nominal Christianity-like crowd with those who give their lives as martyrs. Have you ever thought about it? What the difference is? 
Here it is. With those, of, with those who the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the incredible truth, thousands upon thousands have had their possessions confiscated, their homes seized, their families, their careers, their good names sacrificed, and yet they have joy. Why? Why? The Christianity light crowd will never get it. They hear the word of God and they process this info through their custom consumer, what this means to me spin. And then it goes down easy and settles soft because this is what Jesus means to me. This is what Jesus means to me. Read Luke chapter 14 through 18. Luke chapter 14 through 18. Write that down. And when you get time, read through those four chapters in one sitting and just let the stories of Jesus and what he's talking about just wash over you. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be a disciple. Revelation 3.6 talks about being lukewarm. When you're lukewarm, you're either cold or you're hot. And he doesn't mean on fire for the Lord or cold. And that's not what he means in this verse, by the way. He is at a spot where he's talking about the cold springs over here coming down and the hot springs over here coming down. By the time they get to this point, it's lukewarm and it's really good for nothing. The cold water was very good for the people. The hot water was very good for the people, but lukewarm meant nothing. He said he'd spit you out of your mouth if you're lukewarm. Better that you're cold or hot. And a lot of people interpret that as being on fire for the Lord or being cold as ice. That's not, no, he's talking about the benefit of both of those forms of water. See, you got to have the truth to be cold or hot. To have the benefit of a cold drink on a, hot on a hot day. Or a hot drink today on a cold day. Right? Lukewarm is the antithesis of Christianity light. What is more lukewarm than your truth can be your truth and my truth is my truth? This is what Jesus means to me. I don't know what he means to you, but this is what he means to me. What? You're telling me the God of the universe is going to come down and be subjective to your whims? Really? Would any parent here raise their children that way? No. Not a good parent. So where does that leave us today? It leaves me asking, how do you reach those caught in the trap of deception? Because there's an old phrase, uh, you don't realize how deceived you were till you're not deceived anymore. So how people are, you know, in de this deception about what Jesus really is, uh, how do you get to them? See, I believe it is a journey to one place. And that place is brokenness. And once broken, then the light comes. And I have a phrase called crushed into powder at the foot of the cross. And then Jesus rebuilds you. And you have this joy. And he takes you off the salvage pile. And he makes you into something that you could never even daydream yourself of. See, point number three there can be truth in failure. There can be truth in failure. One of my major attractions to Lifehouse Church was that it wasn't full of great, good-looking Christians. Right back at you, Bill. <laughs> Stay with me now. The key to seeking and finding truth, the truth of forgiveness that leads to the presence of God, is trusting the promises of God surrounding failure. Listen to these quotes. <clears throat> 
Walter Wangerin wrote the book Ragman and Other Cries of Faith. And I quote, I myself walked up to Ragman. I told him my name was shame, for I was a sorry figure next to him. Then I took off my clothes in that place and I said to him with dear yearning in my voice, dress me. He dressed me, my Lord, and I am a wonder beside him. A Christian named Keith Miller wrote this. This quote just rocked me years ago when I first read it. Listen to this. Our churches are filled with people who outwardly look contented and at peace, but inwardly are crying out for someone to love them just as they are, confused, frustrated, often frightened, guilty, and often unable to communicate even within their own families. But the other people in the church look so happy and contented that one seldom has the courage to admit his own deep needs before such a self-sufficient group as the average church meeting appears to be. At Lifehouse, we strip that away. We don't try to be anything other than us. At the core, from an outsider, from a 30,000-foot view, that's what you all look like. That's why we wanted to be here. Because that's who we are. Henry Nguyen wrote in the Genesee Diary, He who thinks that he is finished is finished. How true. Those who think they have arrived have lost their way. Those who think they have reached their goal have missed it. And those who think they are saints are demons. So stay with me today. I believe this leaves us and takes us to a place that is unmistakable. If you are honest with yourself, it takes us to a place of indignity, doesn't it? takes us out of our comfort zone at a minimum. It's a place of understanding our failure and then seeking to recover from it. And then you're searching for the real truth, and that's never easy. That's never easy. But it takes you to point number four in our notes today. The scandal of forgiveness is a truth of Jesus. The scandal of forgiveness is a truth of Jesus. The scandal is found in the pure foolishness of what the truth of forgiveness through Jesus really is. Look, Jesus said it in a way that if you're honest with yourself, it's, it's unmistakable and it's inescapable. You can't, you can't get away from it if you just listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 and 25. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you desire to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever desires to save his own life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Absorb that today. See, it's not about exalting me, lifting me up. It's about killing me. You can't escape it. It is death to self. You win by losing. You live by dying. That is the essence of the truth of forgiveness and salvation found in Jesus Christ, i.e. be born again. Uh, if you know my story, if you've been around us a little bit the last 90 days, the DPC, it's all right there. It's all scriptural. Forgiveness and salvation found in Jesus Christ. There is nothing in here about improving your self-esteem, being rich and successful, feeling good about yourself or having your felt needs met, which is why many people are teaching these days and in effect are attempting to stomp out the truth and they exchange it for a few years of delusional, comfortable Sundays. 
Now, that's not to say that this type of message needs to be brought every single Sunday, which is why I started talking about how we need to do some growth messages. But if we're going to have this foundation laid once and for all, this is it, folks. This is what we are. This is who we are. This is the truth. You know, come meet with our pastor. He's going to tell you how great it is in Jesus. It is great, as you'll see in a minute. But to get there, you have to cross through these waters if you want to be scriptural about the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. See, there are two kinds of messages. Is Christianity a a source to self-fulfillment or is it to self-denial? Because it can't be both. It can't. I wish it could. I wish we could merge these two like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But you can't. If it's just a matter of opinion, I'll do my thing, you do yours, we'll hang out here on Sundays, and we'll just cruise along, and it'll be great. But here's the deal. The genuine gospel of Jesus Christ is not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of truth. What you want, or what I want, or anybody else wants, it makes no difference whatsoever. It is what it is by God's sovereign will. See, there are two gospels to talk about today. Two Gospels to talk about. That's our point number five. Point number five. The false gospel of self-esteem versus the true gospel of Scripture. See, the false gospel will pull us away from self-denial. Tells us that at the end of the day, Jesus is what he really wants for you and me, that we're well. And if you're not well, it's because you failed to have your spiritual ticket to ride punched properly. Oh, it's your fault. You didn't, you, didn't, you didn't check all the marks on the box. See, if you're not rich, it's because you haven't claimed it. Jesus wants you free from debt, and the only way to do that is by sending someone an act of a faith pledge that'll set you free from the demon of debt. Jesus offers salvation that is supposed to be a guarantee to health, wealth, prosperity, and happiness, right? There are churches preaching that today. The false gospel of self-esteem takes the truth about Jesus giving peace and joy, which is true. And we're going to get to that in a second. And it adds on this lie that Jesus will make you a better homemaker, a better salesman, help you hit more three-point baskets, whatever a three-point basket in your life is. Jesus really wants you to feel better about yourself. He wants you to elevate your self-image. Put an end to that negative thinking. Every day is a Friday, your best life now. How tragic that this type of teaching replaced a God-centered life with a man-centered life. In Mark chapter 10, we get a great picture of what I mean when I tell you this morning to seek the true gospels of the scripture. In Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17, we're going to read that together. I was just going to do the first verse, but uh, I just really think we need to do the whole thing so you can see something here. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. See, the message of that text 
could be a series. You could do an hour and a half on that text alone. But I want you to see that the rich young ruler flat out said to Jesus, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, isn't that what we want people to ask us? How do we know Jesus? Oh, what a great segue into a personal evangelism moment for Jesus. Jesus could have said, pray this prayer. Make a decision to accept me as your savior. No. Jesus instead confronts him with the Ten Commandments. Now, this guy can't seem to recognize his sin because the Ten Commandments are there for you to recognize your sin. That's what they're there for, for us. With, you know, that we're under the new covenant, right? And so he starts talking like he has it all down pat. And is the primo candidate for eternal life. I've kept all of these since I was a kid. And so the rich young ruler wanted Jesus to show him how to have eternal life, but Jesus told him the price was given up his illusion of self-righteousness, recognizing himself instead as an unworthy, pathetic sinner. That was what Jesus was trying to say here. All he needed was to be willing to submit to the Lord Jesus. And it even meant, even if it meant giving up all of his earthly possessions. Now look, Jesus may not ask, but the requirement for eternal life is the willingness to give it all up if Jesus does ask. Again, Jesus is not here to build your self-esteem. He's here for self-denial, which is why people who have the pearl of great price, the great treasure in the field, they have Jesus Christ with the peace and joy. Many of them are martyred for their faith. Martyred is a little deeper than giving up your possessions, isn't it? That makes for a tough gospel, a hard gospel, good news that sometimes doesn't look so good. But that is the true gospel of Scripture. It's what it is. So then you got to ask, if you're like me, you have to ask at this point, Lord, why would so many come to find this truth, this hard gospel, the pearl of great price or the great treasure in the field? Why would, this, this doesn't look good at all. Because at its core and throughout the whole experience, God shows a love, demonstrates a passion for you and for me in a way that changes us from the inside out and it gives us life for an eternity. And this peace washes over us. We have this joy that we've never had before. And there's a freedom that we've never had before. And what do people do with that freedom? A lot of times they purposefully put themselves right back into bondage through the illusion of trying to be somebody they're not. When you think about the hard gospel and you think about the release that people have, going to a church where everybody tries to look like they got it all together, is that not one of the most pathetic things you can possibly see in your life? I like going to a church where we don't have it all together. It takes the pressure off me, to be honest with you. You all don't have it together. Why are you expecting me to? No, we're on this journey together. And point number six, our final point today, is God's furious, furious love for you is truth. God's furious love for you is truth. I'm reminded how many struggle with doubts and questions and they remain in this like truth-seeking mode for a long time. And then some, sometimes, and most of the time, and hopefully it happens to you and as it's happened to me, we cross over into this world of eyes to see and ears to hear. See, 
The problem with the seeker-sensitive church is that sometimes you find what you're seeking. And then what happens? Then we need to grow, right? Then we need to have passion. Then we need to have vision. Then we need to be, be hearing the voice of the shepherd, right? But people sometimes remain in this truth-seeking mode for way too long because the truth is hard. And they don't want to deal with it. See, when you get eyes to see and ears to, to hear, you, you, you let go of that struggle of grabbing hold of the depth of the calling. When you get the depth of the calling and you, you get the depth of the truth that brought forgiveness, cleansing, and eternal life, and this joy comes forward, you're just joyful. And when you're honestly seeking the truth about God, God will make sure that His truth gets inside of you from the inside out. So you're saying God's truth is going to get inside of me? Did you hear the first part? If you're honestly seeking the truth about God, not just seeking the truth about God, but you're honestly seeking the truth about God. We've become so arrogant in our Christianity in the, in the visible church across America that the honest and the seeking get set aside and it's waiting for the truth of God. No, it's we're honestly seeking the truth of God. And then, truly, authentically, we grow in our salvation. And when we grow in our salvation, here it is, it's not for us. It's so that God will use us for others of his children that he's calling to himself. The benefit of my growth is never me. It's always people around me. Starts with my wife and my inner circle and goes out from there. And then you get a calling on you to come and pastor a church. My growth has to infect you. As leaders of the church, your growth has to affect others. As parishioners of the church, your growth will affect others. As visitors, your growth in Jesus Christ, wherever God will send you, will infect others. Because it's rock solid. The truth of God is so rock solid, it changes you. And you can understand why it's hard gospel and not this fluff. Let me close with a story. <clears throat> There's this guy. He's out hunting in the wilderness and it's cold. It's really cold. And he comes across a river and he realizes, you know, I got to cross this river. It seems like it's frozen. I think I can make it to the other side, but it might be dangerous. So he taps his foot a little bit on the, on the ice. He's like, yeah, you know, it's probably going to hold. So he walks, starts walking out on the ice and it's cold enough today, but if you're from Minnesota or spent some time in Alaska like we have, you know what happens when you're out on ice? It cracks. It pops. You ever been out there? And so you're, he's walking across this ice, and he's hearing the cracks. He's hearing the pops. And he gets down, and he decides he's, gonna, he's really starting to worry that it's going to open up and swallow him up. And he looks, and he's halfway to that shore, and he's halfway to this shore. And so he lays out on the thing, and he's going to try to low crawl. He figures if he lays his weight out, spreads his weight out, it'll, it'll be safer. And the ice pops, and it cracks again. And he's just terrified. He's starting to sweat in the cold. And all of a sudden, he hears in the distance, what, what is that? Sounds like, sounds like singing and horse hooves and he looks and about 15 yards down 
the riverbank comes two horses and a sled and an old man singing at the top of his lungs and they go right across the ice and up the other side. And he gets up embarrassed of his fear and he walks to the other side. That ice was solid. It was three feet deep. The word of God, the truth of God, the truth of Jesus Christ, the hard gospel is rock solid. And we can sail across it, singing at the top of our lungs without a care in the world, because we're in the arms of the Father. We're assembling our covenant partners, and we'll do so under the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be a part of it. Get right with the Lord today if that's your thing. Grow in the Lord if you're already saved. And then join us here at LifeHouse as we are here to proclaim the authentic truth about Jesus Christ living the perfect life, dying the sacrificial death, raising from the dead to have victory over death, hell, and the grave. And he offers it to each one of us freely. And we come in this sanctuary every Sunday and we worship him. Stand for the benediction in the final prayer. Lord Jesus, we love you and thank you and praise you. We love you for your truth. It's such hard truth, I can't handle it sometimes. But you give me strength that I can't conjure up myself. Lord, we just ask that you would reach into the hearts of every person here and that may be watching online and that now today would be the day that they turn from their sins and that they seek you with their full being. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.